Chapter 13 of French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France by Marie de France, translated by Eugene Mason. Chapter 13 The Lay of Yonic. Since I have commenced, I would not leave any of these lays untold. The stories that I know I would tell you forthwith. My hope is now to rehearse to you the story of Yonik, the son of Eudemarek, his mother's first-born child. In days of yore there lived in Britain a rich man, old and full of years, who was lord of the town and realm of Chepstow. This town is builded on the banks of the Douglas, and is renowned by reason of many ancient sorrows which have there befallen. When he was well stricken in years, this lord took to himself a wife, that he might have children to come after him in his goodly heritage. The damsel who was bestowed on this wealthy lord came of an honourable house, and was kind and courteous, and passing fair. She was beloved by all because of her beauty and none was more sweetly spoken of from chepstow to lincoln yea or from there to ireland great was their sin who married the maiden to this aged man since she was young and gay he shut her fast within his tower that he might the easier keep her to himself he set in charge of the damsel his elder sister a widow to hold her more surely in ward these two ladies dwelt alone in the tower, together with their women, in a chamber by themselves. There the damsel might have speech of none, except at the bidding of the ancient dame. More than seven years passed in this fashion. The lady had no children for her solace, and she never went forth from the castle to greet her kinsfolk and her friends. Her husband's jealousy was such that when she sought her bed, no chamberlain or usher was permitted in her chamber to light the candles. The lady became passing heavy. She spent her days in sighs and tears. Her loveliness began to fail, for she gave no thought to her person. Indeed, at times, she hated the very shadow of that beauty which had spoiled all her life. Now, when April had come, with the gladness of the birds, this lord rose early on a day to take his pleasure in the woods. He bade his sister to rise from her bed to make the doors fast behind him. She did his will, and, going apart, commenced to read the psalter that she carried in her hand. The lady awoke, and shamed the brightness of the sun with her tears. She saw that the old woman was gone forth from the chamber, so she made her complaint without fear of being overheard. Alas, said she, in an ill hour was I born. My lot is hard to be shut in this tower, never to go out till I am carried to my grave. Of whom is this jealous lord fearful that he holds me so fast in prison? Great is a man's folly always to have it in mind that he may be deceived. I cannot go to church nor hearken to the service of God. If I might talk to folk or have a little pleasure in my life, I should show the more tenderness to my husband, as is my wish. Very greatly are my parents and my kin to blame for giving me to this jealous old man, and making us one flesh. 
I cannot even look to become a widow, for he will never die. In place of the waters of baptism, certainly he was plunged in the flood of the Styx. His nerves are like iron, and his veins quick with blood as those of a young man. Often have I heard that in years gone by things chanced to the sad which brought their sorrows to an end. A knight would meet with a maiden, fresh and fair to his desire. Damsels took to themselves lovers, discreet and brave, and were blamed of none. Moreover, since these ladies were not seen of any except their friends, who was there to count them blameworthy? Perchance I deceive myself, and in spite of all the tales, such adventures happen to none. Ah, if only the mighty God would but shape the world to my wish! When the lady had made her plaint, as you have known, the shadow of a great bird darkened the narrow window, so that she marvelled what it might mean. This falcon flew straightway into the chamber, jest and hooded from the glove, and came where the dame was seated. Whilst the lady yet wondered upon him, the tercel became a young and comely knight before her eyes. The lady marvelled exceedingly at this sorcery. Her blood turned to water within her, and because of the dread she hid her face in her hands. By reason of his courtesy the knight first sought to persuade her to put away her fears. Lady, said he, be not so fearful. To you this hawk shall be as gentle as a dove. If you will listen to my words, I will strive to make plain what may now be dark. I have come in this shape to your tower, that I may pray you of your tenderness to make of me your friend. I have loved you for long, and in my heart have esteemed your love above anything in the world. Save for you I have never desired wife or maid, and I shall find no other woman desirable until I die. I should have sought you before, but I might not come, nor even leave my own realm, till you call me in your need. Lady, in charity, take me as your friend. The lady took heart and courage whilst she hearkened to these words. Presently she uncovered her face and made answer. She said that perchance she would be willing to give him again his hope, if only she had assurance of his faith in God. This she said because of her fear, but in her heart she loved him already by reason of his great beauty. Never in her life had she beheld so goodly a youth, nor a knight more fair. Lady, he replied, you ask rightly, for nothing that man can give would I have you doubt my faith and affiance. I believe truly in God, the Maker of all, who redeemed us from the woe brought upon us by our father Adam, in the eating of that bitter fruit. This God is, and was, and ever shall be the life and light of us poor sinful men. If you still give no credence to my word, ask your chaplain. Tell him that since you are sick you greatly desire to hear the service appointed by God to heal the sinner of his wound. I will take your semblance and receive the body of the Lord. You will thus be certified of my faith, and never have reason to distrust me more. When the sister of that ancient lord returned from her prayers to the chamber, she found that the lady was awake. She told her that since it was time to get her from bed, she would make ready her vesture. The lady made answer that she was sick, 
and begged her to warn the chaplain, for greatly she feared that she might die. The aged dame replied, You must endure as best you can, for my lord has gone to the woods, and none will enter the tower save me. Right distressed was the lady to hear these words. She called a woman's wiles to her aid, and made seeming to swoon upon her bed. This was seen by the sister of her lord, and much was she dismayed. She set wide the doors of the chamber, and summoned the priest. The chaplain came as quickly as he was able, carrying with him the lord's body. The knight received the gift, and drank of the wine of that chalice. Then the priest went his way, and the old woman made fast the door behind him. The knight and the lady were greatly at their ease. A comelier and blither pair were never seen. They had much to tell one to the other, but the hours passed till it was time for the knight to go again to his own realm. He prayed the dame to give him leave to depart, and she sweetly granted his prayer, yet so only that he promised to return often to her side. Lady, he made answer, so you please to require me at any hour, you may be sure that I shall hasten at your pleasure. But I beg you to observe such measure in the matter, that none may do us wrong. This old woman will spy upon us night and day, and if she observes our friendship, will certainly show it to her lord. Should this evil come upon us, for both it means separation, and for me most surely death. The knight returned to his realm, leaving behind him the happiest lady in the land. On the morrow she rose sound and well, and went lightly through the week. She took such heed to her person that her former beauty came to her again. The tower that she was wont to hate as her prison became to her now as a pleasant lodging that she would not leave for any abode and garden on earth. There she could see her friend at will, when once her lord had gone forth from the chamber. Early and late, at morn and eve, the lovers met together. God grant her joy was long against the evil day that came. The husband of the lady presently took notice of the change in his wife's fashion and person. He was troubled in his soul, and, misdoubting his sister, took her apart to reason with her on a day. He told her of his wonder that his dame arrayed her so sweetly, and inquired what this should mean. The crone answered that she knew no more than he. For we have very little speech one with another. She sees neither kith nor friend, but now she seems quite content to remain alone in her chamber. The husband made reply, Doubtless she is content, and well content. But by my faith we must do all we may to discover the cause. Hearken to me. Some morning, when I have risen from bed, and you have shut the doors behind me, make pretense to go forth, and let her think herself alone. You must hide yourself in a privy place, where you can both hear and see. We shall then learn the secret of this new-found joy. Having devised this snare, the twain went their ways. Alas for those who were innocent of their counsel, and whose feet would soon be tangled in the net. Three days after, this husband pretended to go forth from his house. 
he told his wife that the king had bidden him by letters to his court but that he should return speedily he went from the chamber making the door fast his sister arose from her bed and hid behind her curtains where she might see and hear what so greedily she desired to know the lady could not sleep so fervently she wished for her friend the knight came at her call but he might not tarry nor cherish her more than one single hour great was the joy between them both in word and tenderness till he could no longer stay all this the crone saw with her eyes and stored in her heart she watched the fashion in which she came and the guise in which she went but she was altogether fearful and amazed that so goodly a knight should wear the semblance of a hawk when the husband returned to his house for he was near at hand his sister told him that of which she was the witness and of the truth concerning the knight right heavy was he and wrathful straightway he contrived a cunning gin for the slaying of this bird he caused four blades of steel to be fashioned with point and edge sharper than the keenest razor these he fastened firmly together and set them securely within that window by which the tercel would come to this lady all oh god that a knight so fair might not see or hear of this wrong and that there should be none to show him of such treason on the morrow the husband arose very early at daybreak saying that he should hunt within the wood his sister made the doors fast behind him and returned to her bed to sleep because it was yet but dawn the lady lay awake considering of the knight whom she loved so loyally tenderly she called him to her side without any long tarrying the bird came flying at her will he flew in the open window and was entangled amongst the blades of steel one blade pierced his body so deeply that the red blood gushed from the wound when the falcon knew that his hurt was to death he forced himself to pass the barrier and coming before his lady fell upon her bed so that the sheets were dabbled with his blood the lady looked upon her friend and his wound and was altogether anguished and distraught sweet friend said the knight it is for you that my life is lost did i not speak truly that if our loves were known very surely i should be slain on hearing these words the lady's head fell upon the pillow and for a space she lay as she were dead the knight cherished her sweetly he prayed her not to sorrow overmuch, since she should bear a son who would be her exceeding comfort. His name should be called Yonik. He would prove a valiant knight, and would avenge both her and him by slaying their enemy. The knight could stay no longer, for he was bleeding to death from his hurt. In great dolor of mind and body he flew from the chamber. The lady pursued the bird with many shrill cries. In her desire to follow him she sprang forth from the window. Marvelous it was that she was not killed outright, for the window was fully twenty feet from the ground. When the lady made her perilous leap she was clad only in her shift. Dressed in this fashion she set herself to follow the knight by the drops of blood which dripped from his wound. 
she went along the road that he had gone before till she lighted on a little lodge this lodge had but one door and it was stained with blood by the marks on the lintel she knew that eudemarek had refreshed him in the hut but she could not tell whether he was yet within the damsel entered in the lodge but all was dark and since she might not find him she came forth and pursued her way she went so far that at last the lady came to a very fair meadow she followed the track of blood across this meadow till she saw a city near at hand this fair city was altogether shut in with high walls there was no house nor hall nor tower but shone bright as silver so rich were the folk who dwelt therein before the town lay a still water to the right spread a leafy wood and on the left hand near by the keep ran a clear river by this broad stream the ships drew to their anchorage for there were above three hundred lying in the haven the lady entered in the city by the postern gate the gouts of freshly fallen blood led her through the streets to the castle none challenged her entrance to the city none asked of her business in the streets she passed neither man nor woman upon her way spots of red blood lay on the staircase of the palace the lady entered and found herself within a low-ceiled room where a knight was sleeping on a pallet she looked upon his face and passed beyond she came within a larger room empty save for one lonely couch and for the knight who slept thereon but when the lady entered in the third chamber she saw a stately bed that well she knew to be her friend's this bed was of inwrought gold and was spread with silken cloths beyond price the furniture was worth the ransom of a city and waxen torches in sconces of silver lighted the chamber burning night and day swiftly as the lady had come she knew again her friend directly she saw him with her eyes she hastened to the bed and incontinently swooned for grief the knight clasped her in his arms bewailing his wretched lot but when she came to her mind he comforted her as sweetly as he might fair friend for god's love i pray you get from hence as quickly as you are able my time will end before the day and my household in their wrath may do you a mischief if you are found in the castle they are persuaded that by reason of your love i have come to my death fair friend i am right heavy and sorrowful because of you the lady made answer friend the best thing that can befall me is that we shall die together how may i return to my husband if he finds me again he will certainly slay me with the sword the knight consoled her as he could he bestowed a ring upon his friend teaching her that so long as she wore the gift her husband would think of none of these things nor care for her person nor seek to revenge him for his wrongs then he took his sword and rendered it to the lady conjuring her by their great love never to give it to the hand of any till their son should be counted a brave and worthy knight when that time was come she and her lord would go together with the son to a feast they would lodge in an abbey where should be seen a very fair tomb there her son must be told of this death 
there he must be girt with this sword. In that place shall be rehearsed the tale of his birth, and his father, and all this bitter wrong, and then shall be seen what he will do. When the knight had shown his friend all that was in his heart, he gave her a bliode, passing rich, that she might clothe her body, and get her from the palace. She went her way, according to his command, bearing with her the ring and the sword that was her most precious treasure. She had not gone half a mile beyond the gate of the city, when she heard the clash of bells and the cries of men who lamented the death of their lord. Her grief was such that she fell four separate times upon the road, and four times she came out of her swoon. She bent her steps to the lodge where her friend had refreshed him, and rested for a while. Passing beyond, she came at last to her own land, and returned to her husband's tower. There, for many a day, she dwelt in peace, since, as Eudemaric foretold, her lord gave no thought to her outgoings, nor wished to avenge him, neither spied upon her any more. In due time the lady was delivered of a son, whom she named Yonik. Very sweetly nurtured was the lad. In all the realm there was not his like for beauty and generosity, nor one more skilled with the spear. When he was of a fitting age, the king dubbed him knight. Hearken now what chanced to them all that self-same year. It was the custom of that country to keep the feast of St. Aaron with great pomp at Carleon, and many other towns besides. The husband rode with his friends to observe the festival as was his wont. Together with him went his wife and her son, richly apparelled. As the roads were not known of the company, and they feared to lose their way, they took with them a certain youth to lead them in the straight path. The varlet brought them to a town. In all the world was none so fair. Within this city was a mighty abbey, filled with monks in their holy habit. The varlet craved a lodging for the night, and the pilgrims were welcomed gladly of the monks, who gave them meat and drink nearby the abbot's table. On the morrow, after mass, they would have gone their way, but the abbot prayed them to tarry for a little, since he would show them his chapter-house and dormitory, and all the offices of the abbey. As the abbot had sheltered them so courteously, the husband did according to his wish. Immediately that the dinner had come to an end, the pilgrims rose from the table, and visited the offices of the abbey. Coming to the chapter-house, they entered therein, and found a fair tomb, exceeding great, covered with a silken cloth, banded with orphreys of gold. Twenty torches of wax stood around this rich tomb, at the head, the foot, and the sides. The candlesticks were of fine gold, and the censer swung in that chantry was fashioned from an amethyst. When the pilgrims saw the great reverence vouchsafed to this tomb, they inquired of the guardians as to whom it should belong, and of the lord who lay therein. The monks commenced to weep, and told with tears that in that place was laid the body of the best, the bravest, and the fairest knight who ever was or ever should be born. 
In his life he was king of this realm, and never was there so worshipful a lord. He was slain at Kerwent for the love of a lady of those parts. Since then the country is without a king. Many a day have we waited for the son of these luckless lovers to come to our land, even as our lord commanded us to do. When the lady heard these words, she cried to her son with a loud voice before them all, Fair son, said she, you have heard why God has brought us to this place. It is your father who lies dead within this tomb. Foully was he slain by this ancient Judas at your side. With these words she plucked out the sword and tendered him the glaive that she had guarded for so long a season. As swiftly as she might she told the tale of how Eudemarek came to have speech with his friend in the guise of a hawk how the bird was betrayed to his death by the jealousy of her lord, and of Yonik, the falcon's son. At the end she fell senseless across the tomb. Neither did she speak any further word until the soul had gone from her body. When the son saw that his mother lay dead upon her lover's grave, he raised his father's sword and smote the head of that ancient traitor from his shoulders. In that hour he avenged his father's death, and with the same blow gave quittance for the wrongs of his mother. As soon as these tidings were published abroad, the folk of that city came together, and setting the body of that fair lady within a coffin, sealed it fast, and with due rite and worship placed it beside the body of her friend. May God grant them pardon and peace. As to Yonik, their son, the people acclaimed him for their lord as he departed from the church. Those who knew the truth of this piteous adventure, after many days, shaped it to a lay, that all men might learn the plaint and the dolor that these two friends suffered by reason of their love. End of chapter 13